I uh, normally, normally, I sleep really well. Last night, or I should say this morning, I woke up about 3.15 and couldn't go back to sleep. It's one of those nights. And again, that's pretty abnormal for me. And so uh, lest, you, lest you feel sorry for me, like, oh, he's so tired, at least right now, I'm kind of at that point where when you haven't slept in a while, you kind of get your second wind of, kind of second wind, and I had some caffeine this morning, so I'm feeling great. <laughs> I'll crash this afternoon. Go ahead and grab some scripture, and uh, if it's hard copy, uh, great, under, uh, under the chair around you, there's a copy of scriptures. You can scan the code up here for the Bible app, scriptures are on there. As well, we're in our Christmas series and we're exploring the reasons Jesus Himself gives for why He came in the first place. Places in Scripture where Jesus specifically says very clearly, Here's why I came. Why He took on flesh and dwelt among us. Why He stepped out of the heavenly realm and into a dirty manger in the Middle East some 2,000 years ago. And so the scripture where we're going to be is Luke chapter 4, verse 14 is where we're going to start here in a few moments. And I've wondered this week, as we consider again why Jesus came, I wonder do we accept the reasons why he came or do we reject the reasons why he came? So if I could be very clear, do we accept the reasons that Jesus gives for why he came, or do we reject the reasons that Jesus gives for why he came? And here's what I mean. Anybody ordered Domino's this week? Just raise your hand if you've ordered Domino's this week. Okay, so I'm kind of split. Sometimes I'll pick it up at, at the shop. Uh, sometimes uh, I'll have it delivered. When we order Domino's and have it delivered, the delivery guy is coming to my door with something very specific, right? He's coming to my door with a very specific pizza or pizzas. Sometimes my kids have even ordered, and I don't even know what they've ordered, and the delivery guy shows up, and he's at the door with pizza. How strange would it be if I opened the door to receive the pizza and he holds it out and I'm like, hey, what do you, what do you got there? Because again, maybe my kids ordered, I don't even know what, what it is. What do you got there? And he's like, oh, pepperoni. And I'm like, well, I don't really like pepperoni. Can you change it to sausage and green pepper? My personal favorite, by the way. Can you just change it to sausage and pepperoni? I mean, sausage and green pepper. And he's like, well, I can't really do that. I'm like, well, can we just see what you have in the car? Can we just go out to the car and see what other pizzas you have? Because I'm not, I don't know if I want to receive what it is you're offering. My hope this morning is that we can, again, see clearly why Christ has come to our door, so to speak. And my hope and prayer is that we take what he's offering, that we receive what he's holding out to us, that we are 
open to receiving what he's bringing. And may we not be in the group who reject what he offers, who, who actively rejects what he's bringing. Luke 4, 14, here's the setting before we jump in. We'll read eventually through verse 30. We'll kind of take our time working through these verses this morning. Luke 4, 14. Here's the setting. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan himself. Jesus has already started his public ministry after this temptation. We're not for sure how long, uh, what the time period is between when he comes out of the wilderness from being tempted to where we are right in this passage, but we know he's already started preaching and teaching and healing in many towns. So know that that's the context here. Luke 4, 14, um, we'll start uh, just there and read through 16 and then uh, pause and chat some more. So Luke chapter 4, verse 14, here's how it starts. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Nazareth's where he grew up. He was born where? Bethlehem, but, but grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was a pretty small town. Historians uh, have differing kind of understandings of just how small it was. Uh, one historian I was reading this week said that the actual town size of Nazareth at this point in history may have been just about the size of three football fields, maybe 10 to 20 families. Pretty small town. In John chapter 1, Nathaniel will even make a comment when he hears of Jesus of Nazareth. He says, can, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? Remember that? That's a reflection on, on his understanding of Nazareth. What, what kind of place of, is Nazareth that the Messiah would come from Nazareth, that the Messiah would have been brought up in Nazareth? For us, it'd be like Walden. Raise your hand if you've been to Walden. Anybody been to Walden? Oh, man, more than I thought. Walden. It would, be, it would be like saying Jesus of Walden, right? The Messiah. You, the Messiah's come. Jesus of Walden. And you could understand why Nathaniel would go, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's just a little podunk town. I love it that we're given some details about the gathering in the synagogue. The weekly gathering at the synagogue on the Sabbath day at this point in history would have likely included some singing. It would have likely included some prayer. It would have included some reading of the scriptures, as we'll see. And it would have included a commentary from a teacher or a rabbi on the scriptures that had been read out loud. And I'm like, that sound familiar? Right? It's pretty similar to what we do today at our weekly gatherings even as a church gathered together here in 2023. One of my favorite phrases in this passage, in all, especially in just in the verses we just read, is this, Jesus went to the synagogue, he gathered 
as was his custom. Did you catch that? He went to the synagogue as was his custom. He went to the synagogue that day because that's what he does, right? Did you pick up on that? That's his custom. It's what he does. He went to the synagogue that day on the Sabbath because that's what he does. Church may gathering at least once per week for worship and prayer and studying the scriptures be our custom. And may we pass this custom on to the next generation, not just in word, but in deed. It's what Christ did. And I had never really processed this in this way before until this week when I was doing preparation, but if anyone could have made an excuse for not gathering weekly, it was Jesus, right? I mean, just think about what Jesus could have said. I mean, I'm God in the flesh. I don't really need to gather weekly. Won't just once a month or so do? I mean, really, God in the flesh, I don't really think I need to go at all. I mean, why, why would I need to go at all? Especially not when I'm in Nazareth. I bet the worship at that little backwater synagogue is lame. So I'll just skip it. I'll go when I'm feeling it. It was his custom to gather. I look at that and I go, wow. Let's keep reading. Luke chapter 4 verse 17. Pick up where we left off. We'll read down through verse 20. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. This is prophecy, again, we just read from Isaiah about the coming Messiah. And Jesus is actually reading, uh, he kind of combines what we know today as Isaiah 58 and 61. Again, chapters, uh, they weren't uh, divided up into chapters back then, but he reads from Isaiah 58 and 61 about what the coming Messiah will do. And I think it's interesting in verse 18 that we have a reference to the Trinity right there in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord, that's God the Father, is upon me, Jesus, right? And we'll see later on that that's actually talking about Christ. But it's a reference to the Trinity right there. And so why did Jesus come? Again, that's, that's why we're in this series, right? Why did Jesus come? Well, it's laid out really clearly for us. To proclaim good news. That's what it says. He, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he'll say this again in chapter 4, verse 43, just a little bit further down. I must continue preaching good news. This is why I came. That's what he says later on in chapter 4 again. Well, what is the good news? What's the good news that he came to proclaim? 
Well, let's review it. It's liberty to those who are captive. It's sight to the blind, and certainly Jesus gave sight to those physically blind, but there's a whole lot more depth that we'll get into there in a second. Liberty to those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, the time is now to receive favor from the Lord. Today is the day of your salvation. And as we've said before, if Jesus came to proclaim good news, we've said before, for news to be good, there has to be a bad reality. For news to be good, there has to be a bad reality. In other words, when someone says, well, there's some good news. You've heard that before. It's insinuating that up to that point, it's been bad news. And we go, well, finally some good news. One pastor says it like this, for news to be good, it has to invade dark spaces or bad places. And so we need to ask, what is his mission? What is Jesus's mission? What is his mission that we just read? What does it tell us about our reality? What does his mission tell us about our reality? As I read this, I want us to examine our own hearts and our own lives this morning. You guys know we regularly do that. If you're just new popping in with us here, we don't beat around the bush. It's okay to talk about the painful reality that we may be walking in, and it's part of what this is about. If for news to be good, we have to understand that it has to invade bad spaces or bad reality. And so we need to ask, what does Jesus' mission have to do with our reality? What does it tell us about our reality? And so again, here's why Jesus came. He came to bring liberty to those who are captive, sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, and proclaim the time of the Lord's favor is now. And so what does that tell us about our reality? Listen for what resonates with you here. I'm going to read some realities. And maybe you just say, Lord, which one of these is my reality? Which one of these do I need to hear this morning? Which one of these speaks to where I am currently, what my current reality is? Some are living in a bad reality. Maybe that's, maybe that's your reality, is that your reality is bad, Right? Some are in captivity and bondage. That could be your reality. Think of areas of sin. Think of areas of struggle in your life. So maybe some of us are living in a bad reality. Maybe some of us are living in some type of captivity or bondage. Maybe this is you. Some are spiritually blind. They can't see clearly. You'd say it. Spiritually, I just got, it's like static. There's not clarity. Maybe you lack spiritual clarity. Some are oppressed. That's your reality. And when we speak of oppression, some of us can easily go, I don't, I don't know that I'm oppressed. I don't, I don't even know what that means. So I... Of course, looked it up this week just to get more clarity of what should we understand when we begin to consider, well, am I oppressed? Do I feel some kind of oppression? Here's the, one of the definitions that I found. Oppression is a sense of being weighed 
down in body or mind. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, okay, I get it. That's me, right? A sense of being weighed down in body or mind. And the visual that helps me is, is feeling like you're being crushed under the weight of something. That you have more weight on you than what you can bear. That's oppression. Some of you are in need of the Lord's favor, the Lord's grace. And you would say, that's my reality. And so I would ask us now as a group, because we continue to lay the truth of the scriptures over our lives, right? There's not some kind of knowledge download alone. I would ask us now, do you recognize yourself as one in need of what Christ brings? If that's why he came and you realize this is my reality, can you recognize yourself as being one that is in need of what Christ is bringing? He's at the door today with a delivery. That's why he came. Do you receive what he's bringing to your door? Or are you like, no thanks, I'd like something else? Or no thanks right now? I kept coming back to this quote. You guys know as prepare sermons, uh, many times there's one or two sentences that for me personally are like, man, this is, this is what I need to hear. And maybe it's the same for you. Those who recognize their spiritual poverty are then ready to receive the spiritual wealth that Christ brings. Those who recognize their spiritual poverty are then ready to receive the spiritual wealth that Christ brings. Let's continue. So much more here. What will the people's response be? So in this moment, as Jesus has read from the scroll, what will people's response be? So Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 21, pick up where we left off. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And I was, when I've read this before, I didn't quite capture what was going on with him standing up and sitting down. And, and when we read what historians have to say, we understand that the rabbi or the teacher would have been standing as he read the scriptures and then always pictured, it says he sat down and then began to speak. And I just pictured him like going down here in front of the, like if I came down here and sat and then said, now the scriptures are fulfilled in your presence. But that's not actually what happened is the, the rabbi or the teacher would sit down to give his sermon, which I've tried before when I've had knee surgery. That's hard to preach when you're sitting down. But that's what the norm was. The rabbi would sit down and then would start his commentary on the scriptures. And as he sat down and as he began to give his commentary on this passage on the Messiah... He simply points to himself and says, this passage, it's this guy, it's me. And it was shocking to them. As shocking it would, as it would have been if I read this passage this morning and sat down in a chair up here on stage and said, this passage, I've got some news for you. 
It's actually about me. You'd be shocked, right? And you'd marvel a bit of, what could he be talking about? I know Dustin. He's from Walden. (laughs) Not really. But it would have been shocking. It says they marveled, but they obviously had doubts because they asked, isn't this Joseph's son? That's, there's doubt in that, right? They're trying to process, how could this Jesus be the Messiah? Isn't this Joseph's son? And Jesus' words reveal what the people were really thinking. Because Jesus offers, he says, surely, as, they, as he can hear them murmuring likely, isn't this Joseph's son? His response is, he said, and I bet you'll quote for me the proverb that says, physician, heal yourself. What we've heard of you doing in these other towns, why don't you do it right here, Jesus, right here in in Nazareth? That's what they're thinking. And I begin to process what's at the heart of what they're saying. Isn't this Joseph's son? Well, if if it's really true, Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you do the things that we've heard about you doing? Because again, he's already had a public ministry. He's already been teaching and preaching and healing. And they're saying, if this is really you, do something for us. In other words, give us a sign, do some miracles, and then we'll decide who you really are. Do some tricks for us. We've heard about what people are saying about you. And so Jesus, you do this, and then we'll do that. You do what we want you to do over here, and then we'll consider our worship of you. Perform for us, essentially. If you do what we want you to do, then we'll consider following you. And I just begin to ask, I wonder if that sounds familiar to where either we've been in the past or maybe even are right now. I would ask you now, do you recognize yourself as one who wants Jesus to perform for you? to give you what you want? Or maybe worded a little differently, have you been withholding your worship because you think he hasn't done for you what you thought he should do for you? That's the same as thinking Jesus came to perform for you or give you whatever you want or what you think you need. It's a hard question to answer, hard question to ask, hard question to answer. Let's keep going. Jesus continues his response to the people in Nazareth, and if they weren't already getting uncomfortable with his message, what he'll say next just puts them right over the edge. Luke chapter 4, verse 24, and we'll read this time through verse 27. And he said, this is again Jesus continuing to teach. He said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Verse 27 gives another example. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And you're like, what in the world does all that mean? Elijah, Elisha, Jesus, what are you talking about here? Here's 
what Jesus is pointing to. See, these examples, what we just read, I don't know if you caught it or not, but he's saying there were moments in Israel's history when there was great need among the people, but because of their unbelief, the miracle or the provision was actually taken outside of the people of God. When you looked at it and said there was great need in the time of Elijah when there was great famine, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, which was outside of the land of God's people, outside of Israel. In the next example, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. And so what's Jesus saying here? What's the point here? Well, Jesus came to save the Gentiles too. He's beginning to foreshadow what his ministry would actually be. It would be for the greater community of the world, not just God's chosen people. Jesus came to save the Gentiles too, and this was highly controversial to the Jewish audience he was speaking to. They hated the Gentiles. It reminds me of Jonah's attitude. If you remember Jonah from the Old Testament, when God told Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites, the last thing Jonah wanted was to see the Ninevites receive God's mercy. Jesus is foreshadowing the Jews' rejection of himself and how the good news would eventually be opened up to the rest of the world. The Messiah would be a Messiah for all who would believe, not just for the Jews. And that made them hot. Let's see what happens next. Luke chapter 4, verse 28. We'll come back to a little bit of application uh, here in a second for us in that passage. But Luke chapter 4, verse 28, here's how it continues. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with what? With wrath. They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Interesting, verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. That's peculiar, right? If we had someone, if we just pinpointed someone here, uh, that let's just say that we all got really upset with Joe sitting in the back. And we're like, let's go kill him. And we grab him. We're, we're wrathful, right? We're super angry at Joe. We grab him and we're taking him out and we're going to walk him to some high place around here and throw him off. We're, he's right in the middle of us. We've got our hands on him and it would be like getting to the edge of the cliff and going, hey, wait a second, where'd Joe go? Where, where is he? That, that's weird, right? That's, that's a peculiar occurrence. Some commentators point to a miracle here that Jesus miraculously escaped. We don't really know, but it's an interesting verse that he escaped from their midst. Not sure how he got away, but maybe a miracle there. But before we get to our own rejection of Christ, again, this idea that Christ brings to us these things that are mentioned in this prophecy and that we would reject them. Before we quite get to that, our own rejection of Christ, are there people in our culture or people in our current circles that you have written off and in a really dark twist would just assume that they not come to know Jesus? It's a good question. Are there people in our circles that we would just assume not come to Jesus? Can you imagine Jesus having that person or those people on his heart with a desire to save them and you 
arguing with him on it. Just like Jonah, right? When it comes to us, we want God to show us grace. And when it comes to them, we want God to show them justice, right? It's the way our brains tend to work. And I would ask us, are there people that we've written off that we would just assume not be saved? Even though we wouldn't say that out loud, maybe that's functionally the way that we live our lives. And can I remind us that we're the ones, you're the one that deserves punishment because of your sin and by no work of your own hand, God has shown you grace. May we see others the same, even those who we deem beyond God's grace or not worth God saving because we weren't either. Truth be told, right? God didn't save you because you were so awesome. He saved you by his own favor, by his own grace, and this is not of ourselves. It's a gift. Let's get back to ourselves and our own rejection of Christ. If this is why Christ came, we have to process Am I willing to receive what Christ came to give or, or do I hold up a hand of rejection? I would ask you now, do you recognize yourself as one who has rejected Jesus' offer of salvation up to this point? Or maybe you're like, well, no, I'm, I'm his child by, by grace through faith. And then I would ask, are there areas of your life where you are currently rejecting Jesus and all that he's offering you? It's a question worth asking. And again, think of the pizza guy at my door holding the pizza out to me. Do you recognize your spiritual poverty apart from Christ? Or have you convinced yourself that you're pretty much good on your own? That you don't really need Him? Maybe you just need some moral lessons. That's what you perceive is your need. Or do you see your spiritual poverty outside of Christ? If so, if you do see your spiritual poverty outside of Christ. Be encouraged. For Jesus came to bring freedom to those who are captive. He came to bring sight to the blind. He came to bring freedom to those who are oppressed, who feel like they're being crushed. He came to proclaim that the time of the Lord's favor and grace is now, not some point in the future. Some of us wrestle with thinking that maybe at some point in life when we really get our act together, we'll be ready for His grace. If that's you, you miss the point of grace. The time of the Lord's favor, the time of the Lord's grace is not later, it's now. This Christmas season, will you be one who reaches out to receive what He brings or will you be one that puts up a hand of rejection and says, no thanks Jesus, I think I got this on my own. As we prepare to answer the door, I want us to be mindful of some of the words we're about to sing. Lyrics of the old hymn, O Holy Night. Listen to some of these lyrics. We're going to get to sing this in, in response to the the incredible gospel, the incredible reasons why Jesus came. Listen to this. Long lay the world in sin and error, but a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, and 
as we sing lyrics like that, it's just so easy just to sing them. We've heard these songs lots of times. But when we think about Christmas season, some of us are like weary, yep. Worn out, yep. Empty bank account, yep. Whatever it is, right? And we see in our weariness we can rejoice because the thrill of hope is that Christ came. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I think about his mercies being new every morning, right? From the scriptures we know that's true. Song continues to include lines like this. Therefore, in light of this good news, may we fall on our knees before Jesus. And then it speaks a little bit of Jesus in the song. It says he knows our need. Some of you need to be reminded of that this morning. He knows my spiritual need. And he actually came to bring liberty, to bring freedom. The song says, chains shall he break. This morning, we need to be reminded of that. That in whatever area of life you feel like you've got bound by chains, chains shall he break. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Let all within us praise his holy name. And I would say, may we forevermore proclaim his power and glory as the song encourages us toward. We're going to pray together and begin answering the door, so to speak, to receive who he is and what he brings. I'm going to give us a little bit of silence just to interact with the Lord on that, to say, Lord, I've, I've seen your scriptures today. I've seen maybe in fresh clarity why you came. And Jesus, my intention by your spirit is to receive who you are and what you've done for me. Let's go to him in prayer. I'm going to give you just a little bit of time just between you and the Lord to interact with him in prayer. Whatever he's placed on your heart because of the scriptures that we've read, offering that to him. Not in some weird way that if you pray the right words, he'll offer you who he is. Our prayer is only in response to what he's already given us. Spend a few moments with him praying in response. Jesus, we thank you that you entered in to this world in the flesh. How incredible that is. And as we've spent time this series just examining those reasons from Scripture, Jesus, that you gave for why you came, I pray that that reality hits us in a fresh way. That Jesus, you came to set us free as captives of sin and death. You came to that oppression might end. You came to give us sight. And in order to receive all those things, we need to be prepared and come to the reality that we're spiritually poor without you, Jesus. And that only in, in our 
poverty do we realize that we're ready to receive the spiritual riches that you offer? Jesus, we thank you that when you came, you had the cross in mind. That by your cross and by your resurrection, all these things are possible. All these realities can become ours because of what you did on the cross and because you came out of the grave. And I thank you that we get to celebrate that today. Right here at Christmas time as we celebrate the reasons why you came, recognizing that the cross was always in view for you. And that your victory over sin and death in the grave was always going to be a reality for you. I pray that that sets into a deep place this morning, that we might celebrate who you are and what you've done for us, that we might celebrate the reasons here of why you came. We pray these things in your name. Amen.